Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So a little over 25 years ago, when we first started Northgate, um, we started with a very simple mission and vision to help unchurched people become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. And that has been our vision and our mission for the last 25 years. It's been what we are all about. And um, we spent the first nine months actually living in my in living in my living room, um, talking about what that was going to look like as a church. If we were going to be a church for unchurched people, what would that look like? Because none of us had come from a church that had that kind of an idea behind it. And so we spent about nine months just talking about what that would look like. And then we actually launched the church and um, started people coming. And it was uh, an incredible thing. People with no church background, people who had been burned by church or whatever, um, just started coming. And it was, it was such an exciting time. And, and about four or five years into it, one of the original couples that helped us plant the church um, came because they were kind of not happy about things because these people who were coming, they weren't bringing their Bibles to church and they weren't acting like church people and they weren't doing all the churchy kind of things. And they were kind of a little bothered by all of this. So they made an appointment. They came down and sat in my office and they said, you know, I think we're going to be leaving the church because, you know, this whole thing about church for unchurched people, we're not too sure about. And I said, well, you know, we made that pretty clear in the first nine months when we were talking about what this was going to look like. And, and, and the wife turned to me and she said, these are her exact words. She said, well, I thought we would be for unchurched people for a while and then we would be a real church. And I looked at her, and she said, well, well, that's not what I meant. And I said, no, I think that's exactly what you meant. Here's what you need to understand. We are a real church. See, but but it, it exposes a little bit, I think, the thinking that easily slips into every church. We become preoccupied with us and our comfort and our needs and our being taken care of, and we forget the mission that Jesus gave the church. If you look at Jesus' life, he wasn't so concerned about the religious people. What he was about was people who were far from God, people who were outside. He was always looking for ways to include people in the kingdom of God. He lived this invitational life. And that's really what we're going to start with today, looking at just one example of Jesus in this invitational life. And and it's really my prayer because um, as we've grown and become a little bit more established as a church, it's real easy for all of us to slip into this, my comfort, my needs, take care of me, and we forget that there's over half the adult population within a nine-mile radius does not know Jesus, and it's entering into a Christless eternity, and that's on us. We are called to live an invitational life, and so that's why for the next seven weeks, we're going to be going through all of this and talk about what is that really look like. And I really do hope that you will all pick up a copy of this book. Um, We've been promoting it. We've been pushing it. We're selling it at a loss. We're underwriting it because we want everybody to get in on this. We're also going to encourage you. um, Next week, Steve Carter, the author of the book, is going to be with us sharing um, from his own invitational life. And I'm really excited about that. And the last thing is I really encourage you to get involved in a community group. If you are not a part of a community group yet, um, tonight uh, at six o'clock, we're going to have a group gathering. And if you don't know how to get into a group, this is a great place to come. You'll meet some new people. Um, we'll help you introduce yourselves to each other, get to know each other. But for the next eight weeks, we're going to learn together as a church 
as individuals, in our community groups, what it means to live this invitational life. And the best example we have of it is Jesus. So we're going to look in uh, John's gospel, if you want to turn there. By the way, there is also an invitational life um, uh, reading uh, devotional in the um, YouVersion. So if you haven't downloaded the YouVersion Bible app, you can do that. You can go to reading plans. There is actually um, a YouVersion version of this invitation life. And I encourage you to do that. Just immerse yourself in this whole thing for the next eight weeks. So um, we're going to start with John chapter 4. And it's a story of Jesus. And he had been down in Judea, and now he's going back up to Galilee. So in verse 3 it says, So he left Judea and went once more back to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near a plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, he said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as he also did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But everyone who drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to come here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you are now with is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus said, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kinds of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? And then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? That's a fairly long account, okay? And, and John's gospel is like that. It's a lot different than the other gospels. There's actually four gospel writers who all tell basically the life and ministry of Jesus. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John are, are filled with teachings and, and miracles. And, but John's gospel, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are more that. John's gospel is a little bit more intimate. It talks about and gives us kind of an inside story and some longer conversations And and that's what he's giving us here. And and in this, he gives us this example of what an invitational life looks like. So today I want to talk to you about 
What does it look like to live an invitational life? And it starts with this real simple principle, be real. Just be real. John makes a real point. He says, Jesus was tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It's important to note that this whole thing starts from a point of weakness, from a point of need. See, John is telling us up front, this is not miracle-working Jesus here, okay? This isn't great teacher preaching to thousands of people, Jesus. This is needy Jesus. This is human Jesus. This is real Jesus. It's about Jesus who's asking for help. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said, will you give me a drink? Now, have you ever thought, I'm just too weak, I'm too needy, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I, I can't do anything that would speak anything into anybody's life for God. If you've ever felt that way, you're wrong. <laughs> Jesus speaks from a point of need. It's human Jesus. See, we tend to project this image of strength and self-sufficiency, and, and we have this idea that if there's any weakness in me, it's somehow going to weaken the message, and that just isn't true. We, we try to project this image that we've got it all together. We have no problems. You know, we're all like Ned Flanders. Everything's oakley-doakley, you know? It's all under control. God is good, you know? And the truth is we go through difficulties. We go through struggles. We all have our times of doubt and questioning. We have our points of need. And I think sometimes in our desire to project an image of self-sufficiency or God-sufficiency, we don't let people see the real us. And the invitational life is a real life. It's not the imaged life that you try to project. And here's the thing. Your story and my story is exactly the same as everybody else's. We are all flawed, frail human beings on this journey of faith. That's our story. And that's the story that people need to hear. Let me ask you this. Do you not think that Jesus, who was able to turn water into wine, could not have come up with a way to get water on his own? This miracle working Jesus could have come up. But, but his point of need opened a conversation. And here's what I found in my own life. When I am honest about my needs and my weaknesses, it makes me more approachable. It makes people more relatable to me. And I think the invitation life has to start with simply living a real life. So let me ask you this. What is it in your life that you think disqualifies you from doing anything great for the kingdom of God? What is the thing that makes you feel like, well, I can't speak because I got this in my life? Very often, it's our point of weakness that becomes the bridge that relates to somebody else. So the very first thing is just be real. And then in that reality, when you look at other people, look beyond the labels. Look beyond the labels. Jesus' request catches her by surprise. Listen to what she says. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans, he says parenthetically. Now that's putting it mildly, okay? Um, the Jews and the Samaritans had nothing to do with each other, and it goes all the way back into their history. Um, actually, the Samaritans were, were half-breeds, if you will. They were 
partially Jewish, but what happened was when the Assyrians conquered the Jewish kingdom and carried off all these people into captivity, they replaced those people with their own people, and they started to intermarry and interbreed. And, and so most Samaritans were not purely Jewish, so they were already looked down upon by a pure Jew as, as a half-breed. And on top of that, the religion was a mixture too, because with that, there was kind of a mixture of Judaism and idolatry. And so for a Jew looking at a Samaritan, they, they're not the right kind of people. They don't dress the right way. They don't have the right culture. They don't have the right religion. You know, everything about them was avoiding. They wanted nothing to do with them. And the Samaritans felt it. That's, she's the one who says that. The wrong kind of people. How can you be talking to me? John makes the point that Jesus was specifically reaching out to her. I don't know if you caught this in verse 3. It says that Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Now, here's what you need to understand about that. If 2,000 years ago you could Google on the map app, okay, and you were to do that, this is what it would look like. You've got Judea down here. You've got Galilee up there. Now, Judea is populated by Jews, and Galilee is populated by Jews. But in between is Samaria, See, it's between the two. Now, it says he, he needed to go through Samaria, but that's not actually the case. If you Googled directions from Judea to Galilee, this is what you would get. And this was the preferred route. You would start here, but you would cross over the Jordan River, go up on the other side of the Jordan River till you got to Galilee, and then you'd cross back. See, that would be the map that would come up when you Googled it. That's what it is. But what Jesus does is he takes the alternate route. He does this route. It goes right through Samaria. Now, no self-respecting Jewish rabbi would make it a point to go through Samaria. But Jesus does. It says he had to. He didn't have to geologically. The preferred route was going to be along the Jordan River. He had to because he had to meet this person. He had to have this conversation. And this is something else about the invitational life. It is an intentional life. It looks for opportunities. It recognizes divine appointments. And and if you will start, if you will just start each day praying, God, whoever comes across my path today, would you let me see in them what you're doing so that I could be a part of it? See, it's an intentionality. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mindset that says God has these, has these divine appointments set up for me today. I don't have them in my appointment book, but God does. And every person he brings across my path is someone that he loves, someone that he's doing a work in, someone that I now have a part in their story. And you don't see that if you're looking at labels. See, that whole label-making thing, what happens is when, when you assign somebody a label, it allows you to discount them as a human being. See, they're just a category. They're just a label. And the other thing that it does is when you put a label on somebody, what it does is it already puts you at, op- at odds with them. They're not a person anymore. They're a label, especially if they're a label that you disagree with, you know? And, and boy, do we have enough division and dissension in our culture these days i mean i just I, it drives me crazy i am i'm just telling you right now 
I am not following anybody that does political posts on Facebook, okay? For the next couple of months, I'm not unfriending you. I'm just not following you, okay? It's just, it's crazy. It's just crazy. And, and the crazy thing is, everybody blames the other side. You know, there's too much divisiveness, says the Democrats. It's all the Republicans' fault. The Republicans say, there's too much divisiveness. It's all the Democrats' fault. And on and on it goes. And every label that we have, and we, what it does is it divides us. That's what labels do. And Jesus did just the opposite. He looked at people as they were. And he saw them as people that God loves. He chose love over labels. And he cuts through all of that us versus them mentality. And he says to her these words, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And a couple of weeks ago, we were in Uganda with our, our mission team. And we went to um, at least four well dedications, wells that, um, that we had sponsored through our Walk for Water from last year. And, and there's a saying in Uganda when we do these well dedications. All the people say, they gather together and the guy that's leading says, water is what? And everybody says, water is life. And they have a whole ceremony in these well dedications because water is Life And when you see some of the places where they've been drawing water and you see when a fresh water well goes in and how all the waterborne diseases in the children reduce by 95%, just it's life. Water is life. And when Jesus, is, and that's what you got to think, you, can, you go here, you, you turn on the tap, water comes out. It's no big deal. You don't even think about it, okay? But when you live in an area like she lived or parts of the world still today where people walk for water and hand pump it and when they get fresh clean water and water is life you get a better appreciation of this story because what Jesus is saying to her is I'm offering you life real life eternal life forget all the labels forget all that us versus them this is just you and me and I want you to know God has a life for you. So be real and get past all of those labels and then and then listen to the heart. Listen to the heart of the people you converse with. Because if you listen carefully, if you listen carefully to people's stories, you will hear their heart. You will hear what matters to them. You will hear some of their hurts and their struggles. Listen to her response. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. You can almost hear the desperation in her voice because, see, here's what you got to also understand. Not only was she a Samaritan, which meant she was an outcast among the Jews, but she was more than likely an outcast in her own community. The fact that she is drawing water in the middle of the day, that is not typical. Typically, all the water is drawn first thing in the morning. And it's not an individual. They go in groups. And yet here she is, in the middle of the day, all by herself. The indication is she's an outcast in her own village. She's got no friends. She's got no one to go draw water with. And every day when she goes to the well to draw water, it's just a reminder 
once again, a daily reminder, you don't belong. You don't have any friends. You're on the outs. And when Jesus engages her in this conversation and says, there's living water, you can hear the desperation in her voice. And here's where it gets a little awkward and a little uncomfortable. He said to her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And here's where you get a picture of why she's on the outs with everybody else. Now, why does Jesus do that? I mean, that's getting really personal. That's delving into her private life. Why does he he probe in this way? Because he wants to get to the heart. She says, I have no husband. So he says to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you are with now that you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is true. Now, again, here's something else you need to understand. In the ancient world, the right of divorce was not afforded to women. It was always the man's, the husband's initiative. The the, the wife had no legal rights to a divorce. So what this means is that she's had five husbands, which means she has had five different men at some point in her life say, I don't want you anymore. I don't want you anymore. You know what? I'm, I'm done with you only to find another man that maybe this time, and then he says the same thing. You know what? I'm tired of you. I don't want you anymore. To the point where I think she's given up on marriage, and it's just if she could find somebody to love her, even without the commitment, because to her, the commitment means nothing anymore anyway. See, this is what Jesus saw. When all the other people around her saw someone that wasn't worth anything. Jesus saw her heart. He saw someone who was in need, who was hurting, who had been beaten up by life. I don't know what her hopes and dreams were when she was a little girl, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't five divorces, just trying to find some stability, someone to care for her, someone to love her. See, When you look past the labels and you listen to the heart, you see the individual. Steve writes about this in this book. He says, when people trust that you are for them and see the good in them, they can stop hiding and let you see their wounds and their shame. Sin is a signal that something inside is broken. It is an open wound revealing a person in desperate need of a healer. And as we get to know others and they trust us with their stories, we start to see their behaviors as indicators of their struggles. We won't be tempted to judge or condemn them. See, we are all under construction. And even as we heal and grow, we are also being used to bring restoration to this world. That's the invitational life. I think the reason Jesus probed so deeply into her life and all of that struggle and all that hurt and all of that pain is this. He wants to understand this living water, this is for you, the real you. Not the image you, not the projected you, the you that's been hurt, the you that's been broken. It's the you that God loves. And it's for you, the real you, that there's this living water. The invitational life is also an inclusive life. 
It sees individuals. It listens to their stories. It hears people's hearts. And when you're real, and when you get past the labels, and you start listening to people's hearts, then you get the opportunity. And when the time is right, then share your story. Jesus now gives her the good news. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. A time is coming and has now come when true worshipers, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. That's the message of grace. That's the message of grace. It's not about rules. It's not about rituals. It's not about religion. It's not about a place. It's about a person. It's about a relationship. And that's what Jesus is inviting her into. Because the invitational life is a relational life. It's a life in relationship with God. It's a life that he's invited us into and invited us to extend to others. You see, her story, her story is really your story and my story. At some level, somewhere deep inside every one of us, there are those disappointments. There are those points of brokenness, those points of rejection, those points of wondering whether we're going to be good enough, if people will like us. See, in some level, that story is the story of every one of us. The feeling of being rejected and unloved. And you know what? That's God's story. If you read the story of Scripture, it is the story of a creator God who in love creates humanity and calls a people of his own who reject him. And and it's not a husband rejecting a wife. In the story of God, the story of Scripture, it's the wife rejecting the husband. Over and over in the Old Testament, that's the analogy that's given. That God is this husband and this is his bride, but his bride has rejected. In fact, one of his prophets, Hosea, he calls his prophet to go and marry an adulterous woman who is a prostitute. Just so as a picture for all of Israel to see this is how you have treated your husband, your love, your God. And that story of rejection is the story of God. It's the story of you. It's a story of me. But here's the good news. The good news in the story is God doesn't give up. God keeps pursuing. His love is unconditional. And to the point where he gives his one and only son who gives his life on a cross, gives his very own life so that we could be in that relationship. That's the story. And God has invited us into this story. And he's invited us to be a part of inviting others into that story. And the very first evangelist in all of scripture is this woman. Look at what happens. It says that the woman went back into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Now, that's not a point of bragging for her. But she's saying, here's somebody who knows me the way that I really am. And has shown me love. Has shown me God's love. Could this be? Could this be the Messiah? See, she doesn't have all the good theology. She doesn't have any answers to anybody's questions. She barely understands it herself. But she shares her story. And it changes the whole village. In fact, it goes on and it says that many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. So much so, it says that they urged him to stay with him, and he stayed two more days, and because of his words, many more became believers. Because an imperfect woman, 
at a point of break, brokenness, found the love of God and shared it with a whole village. And it changed people's lives. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's on the internet, so it must be. <laughs> but in Australia, in the outback, where they had these wide, wide expanses, and cattle ranchers have all of this land, and, 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 and a cattle rancher was asked, so how do you, how do you keep your cattle together? He said, you know, your, your, your ranch just expands so far. That's a lot of fencing. He says, no, no, no. We don't build fences. We dig wells. We don't build fences. We dig wells. And when the cattle know where there's water to be had, you don't need the fences. As a church, as an individual, you got to decide. Are you going to be a fence builder or a well digger? Jesus said, this is living water. And it's for everyone. You got to tear down those fences and tear off those labels. Dig some wells and give life. Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus lived this invitational life. And he invites us to do the same. That once you've been invited, you are now an inviter. And in the weeks ahead, we're going to look at what that looks like in greater detail. But here's the thing I want to leave with you today. Who in your life could you impact for the kingdom of God? Who in your life do you know that's hurting, that's broken, wounded, struggling, thirsty? And you could bring them water. You could bring them life. I want to ask you at the beginning of this whole series to just start thinking about that one person, those two people. And if you would, write their names down on your sermon notes. Put them in your, your online sermon notes. And start praying for those people and looking for those opportunities to speak into their life. I truly believe that God has divine appointments for you this week. Tomorrow, for me, this week, tomorrow, today, this afternoon, we will just be open and say, God, help me see past the labels and listen to the heart and be a part of that work that you're doing in their life. And you may not lead them to Christ. You may not have that opportunity, but just speaking into their life with the love of God is part of the process. Would you make a commitment today to begin to pray for that person, those people in your life. If you would, I want to pray with you and for you, for them as we close. Would you just raise your hand and let me know? I've got somebody in my life I'm praying for. Somebody, would you join me in prayer for them? I love them. Maybe you're here today and you walk into this building thirsty. You're looking for, you're, you're hungering for, you're thirsting for a relationship with God. And, and maybe you feel like you've you got to somehow put it all together first. 
And here's the thing. The message of God's grace is, no, you come just the way that you are. And drink deeply. And admit your need. And receive that life. And if you've never done that, today you can take a first step of faith. And it's just simply, as the woman at the well, admitting your struggle, your hurt, your need, your sin. And just asking for the forgiveness of God, the grace of God to cover your life. And if you would love to be a part of that new story in your own life, would you do the same thing? Just raise your hand. I'd like to pray with you for you as we close. First step of faith. All right. I'm going to invite you to just make this your prayer. Lord, here I am, hungry and thirsty, longing for something more, and I can't do this on my own. I'm admitting my need, and I'm asking for your mercy and your grace, for your forgiveness, and for that life now to be mine. I'm putting my life in your hands. And for those of us who have already made that decision, who have loved ones who've raised our hand and saying, God, today we pray for that person, this person, the one that you want to reach. Give us that opportunity. Open our eyes and our ears to see it, to respond in the power of Christ. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. You